Well, turning your Bibles to Esther chapter 1, we're continuing, of course, our study of the book of Esther. It shows the sovereignty, the providence, uh, the providence and the protection of God. We see the Jewish people living about 500 years before Jesus was ever born. And uh, we see this book gives a story of a Jewish girl who actually becomes the queen of the Persian Empire. It's an amazing thing. And we see why God does that. He does, he raises her up for, for a purpose, and that is to protect his people. We begin seeing this last week. It's a history book. It's fun to study it and fun to read it, but there's a lot of things there. We see really the character of God as we look through this book. We see his power, his providence, and his protection. We see character of man as well. We see some good people. We see people who do what is right. We see people who are courageous. We see people who are stand for what is right. But we also see some evil people. We see somebody that's full of their own ego and pride and envy. And we see all of this. Remember, we've talked about this as we started several weeks ago. We said that there are two books in the Bible named after women. We just got through studying the book of Ruth, which is the story of a Gentile girl who marries a Jew. And now the book of Esther is the story of a Jewish girl who marries a Gentile. And we'll see how it fits together. As we study this book, we see the sovereignty and the providence and the protection of God. You know, I hate to talk about this, but you know, we live in a society which they're actually calling it now the me generation because we say and, and things like, I deserve a break and, and I did it my way and I'm worth it. And the emphasis oftentimes is on my rights and what I want to do. I read something the other day that talked about in the last 20 years that lawsuits have tripled in the United States. People wanting their rights. Everybody sues every time. We live in this me-first society. What is the root of all of this? The bottom line is pride. Our world and mankind has been stricken what's called the disease of pride. Pride is the basis for all sin. What caused the fall of Satan? Pride. What caused the fall of man? Pride. And think about it. That's really what we're like. Uh, I read this, said, uh, read this other day. It said, pride is the only disease known to man that makes everyone else sick except the one who has it. You know? Chuck Swindoll said this, that man is the only animal when you pat him on the back, his head swells. And it's true, and that's the way we are. We're filled with pride. And what is your reaction when somebody cuts in front of you? You go, wait, wait, wait a minute, wait, I was here. This is my place, you know. That's how we are. And we're going to see this morning that the king commands the queen to come. Now, he, this guy is about to, he's got all these men there, these leaders there. He wants to go to war. He wants to go fight the Medio, I mean, the, the Greco-Macedonians. And he's going to war. In fact, between chapter 1 and chapter 2 of the book of Esther, he goes to war. There's a four-year time period, by the way, gap in chapter 1 to chapter 2. And he goes to war and loses. But he's trying to get everything ready. In, the, in history, he's called Xerxes. In the Bible, he's called Ahasuerus. And so he is trying to make everything look good. He's given this giant party, lasted six months. He's been in this big banquet at the end. And then he commands his queen to come. And he says, I want all of you to see how beautiful my queen is. And I'm going to bring her into the room. And he sends for her. And she doesn't come. And his pride is hurt. And so what we see as we look at this, we see the story. Esther is the story of a young Jewish girl who becomes the new queen because he's going to get rid of this queen and Esther becomes queen of the Persian Empire. Now, out of all of the young, beautiful girls in an entire empire, how is it that she happened to be the one picked? Is that luck? Is it just, oh, somebody, oh, what a lucky break for her. Well, first of all, I want you to be honest. Even get picked to be in the beauty contest is not a good thing. 
And we'll talk about it when we get into chapter 2. We'll see so much there. You, I hope you picked up. Last week we gave out the card. That is the Esther card. On one side is the outline of the book. The other side gives you the information. So you can use that as you study and as you look over things as we go through it. Let me remind you of where all this takes place in the Bible because it's important that you think about this. First of all, remember there was King David. And when we think about King David, he is the guy that when he was a young boy he killed Goliath and he was the greatest king of Israel. And when he died, his son Solomon became the king. And uh, we'll put that up in, in a second, but uh, that's the per- medial Persian Empire. Let me just give you a little history before we look at that map. So don't look at the map right this second, okay? So it, after David was the king, he died, and his son Solomon became the king. And after Do- Solomon died, the nation of Israel split into two groups, one called the Northern Empire, one called the Southern Empire. Neither one of them were doing very well. And in 721 B.C., the Assyrians conquered the Northern Empire, and in five, basically 605 B.C., 598 B.C., 585 B.C., three different times, the Babylonians captured the Southern Empire. And according to Jeremiah, they were going to be in captivity for 70 years. And exactly 70 years, they were in captivity. And God raised up a new empire called the Medo-Persian Empire. And there was a man named Darius the Mede. And he had some relatives. And they were Cyrus, Persia. They all came together. They conquered the Babylonians. And Cyrus, who became king, said, For some reason, I'm supposed to let the Jewish people go back home. I don't know why, but I am. Because it was exactly 70 years. And God said they were going to go back. And they did. But the problem was only a few Jewish people went back. A large number stayed. And the books of Ezra and Nehemiah, the story of the Jewish people who go back, and the book of Esther, uh, book of Esther is the Jewish people who didn't go back. Now let me show you a Medo-Persian empire if you want to throw it up there for a second. Uh, it's a huge empire, but at the same time, you see Babylonia, that was still called the Babylonian Empire. Susa, down in the map where you see S-U-S-A, that's where all of this is taking place. That's the summer palace of the king. And it, you see, it's called the Persian Gulf. Why is it called the Persian Gulf? Because of the Medo-Persian Empire. See, following the Medo-Persian Empire were the Greco-Macedonians, and after the Greco-Macedonians were the Romans, and then the Romans fell, and after the Romans, there wasn't really world empires. Even the United States that we call the superpower, we're not a world empire. We don't control the world. We don't try to control the world. We can get ourselves in messes in the world, but we don't control the world. But in this day and time, these people considered themselves the world rulers. And, and Asia Harris considered himself a world What's going to happen is, see where over there where it says Greek and Macedonia and Thrace? That is the Greco-Macedonian Empire fixing to come to power under a man by the name of Philip of Macedon. And his son was called Alexander the Great. And they're coming to power. And, and uh, Xerxes, or, or Ahasuerus, goes to fight them and loses and comes back. And when we get to chapter 2, it's after the war. And the Greco-Macedonians are going to get stronger and stronger and stronger and eventually take over the Medo-Persian Empire. So this is where we are. And we're at this time in which this king is, uh, he's ruling, he thinks he's the world ruler, and he is, but he's not as powerful as he thinks he is. And we see what happens. The theme of the book is God's sovereignty, God's sovereign power, His providence, and protection of His people. I want you to understand, these Jewish people living in the Medo-Persian Empire, living in Susa, living where they are, they were not supposed to be living there. They were supposed to go back to Jerusalem, but they didn't. 
And so we'll see what happens. Let me give you the, the names of the famous people in the book. Ahasuerus is Xerxes. He's the king of the Medo-Persian Empire. And there's some things he does good. And there's some things he does really bad. The second one is Vashti. She is the queen. She's the one in this chapter that we're seeing. She refuses to come. You might say, listen, if it, the king called for you, just go. What's the big deal? Why don't you go? And we'll see that there's a pride aspect involved, not only from her, but from him. The third name is, of course, Esther. And when you think about Esther, we all say, oh, I love the name Esther. But Esther's actually a Persian name. It's Eshtar, named after Ishtar, one of the goddesses. Esther's real name is Hadassah. You'll find that in chapter 2. And the name Hadassah means myrtle, like a myrtle tree. So she was a very beautiful uh, young girl. And we see that God takes this woman and raises her to a great place. The, we meet another man, a man, his name is Mordecai. Some people call it M Mordecai, but I think the best way to pronounce it is Mordecai. He is actually uh, raising Esther. His, uh, uh, Esther's father was his uncle. And uh, her mo Esther's mom and daddy died, which was Mordecai's uncle. And so he took her and raised her as his own daughter. And, of course, they're Jewish. As Harris and Vashti are not Jewish, they're Medo-Persian. Esther and Mordecai are Jewish. And then the last name is this man named Haman. And as you study this, you will, you will hate Haman. You will hate him. You'll read it and you'll go, I wish this guy wasn't in the Bible. I wish this is the meanest man I've ever seen in my life. He is a mean man. He's a horrible man. And he wants to destroy every Jewish person in the world. That's his plan. Kill them all. And we'll see what God does. And we'll see how God protects his people. And we're going to see a people, these Jewish people, Mordecai and Esther, who are not really concerned about God, what we're going to see is that God is concerned about them. Well, let's see what happens. Last time we looked about the first 9 or 10. We actually went through verse 12, but we just hurriedly quickly over 10, 11, and 12. But in the first 9 verses, he throws the big party. Look at verse 6. It talks about, look at verse 5, I'm sorry. When these days were completed, after the 180 days, six months of having a big party, he decided to have a banquet. And the banquet was going to last for seven days. And he had all the people came, and he gave out everything, and they could drink as much as they want. Everything was fine. Look at verse 9. Queen Vashti also gave a banquet for the women in the palace which belonged to King Ahasuerus. Now I told you in that culture in that time, the women and the men did not mix. And I'm talking about the nice women and the men did not mix. In the banquet, the women are over there with Queen Vashti. In the other banquet, the king is over there. They might have concubines, they might have dancing women, they might have all that stuff. But the good women would not come into this banquet. That's one of the reasons Vashti wouldn't come in there. Because this is where the drinking, the dancing, the mess is. Over here, the women, they stayed separate from the men. So Queen Vashti had a banquet for the women in the palace, which belonged to King Ahasuerus. Now watch what happened. On the seventh day, when the heart of the king was merry with wine, he commanded Mahuman, Bisthal, Harbona, Bigthal, Agatha, Zephthar, and Carcass, the seven eunuchs who served in the presence of the king Ahasuerus, to bring Queen Vashti before the king. Now let's stop for a minute. These, these seven men are called eunuchs. That's a castrated male. Whenever, they, whenever the king had servants that dealt with the women, that dealt with the king's women, they made sure that they uh, couldn't touch the women, and they made sure that they would not have any, any family to come behind them and claim the kingdom. So they castrated the men, and they called them eunuchs, and they were servants. They list seven names here of men that worked for Ahasuerus. 
And here's what he tells them to do. He says, all right, look, men, I want you to go in there, tell Queen Vashti to come here, notice verse 11, to bring Queen Vashti before the king with her royal crown in order to display her beauty to the people and the princes, for she was beautiful. That's his plan. Listen, I want to tell you how great a king I am. We're getting ready to go to war. We're getting ready to whip the, medial, the, the Greek old Macedonians. We're going to destroy them. We've got the greatest empire in the world. Look at all the money we've got. Look at all the gold we've got. Look at all the stuff we've got. Look at all the women we've got. Look at everything we've got. In fact, I'm going to show you the most beautiful woman in the whole thing. I'm going to bring my wife, the queen, in so you can all see her beauty. So he sent for Queen Vashti. That's his plan, to bring her in. And in verse 11, it says, he, he said to bring her in because she was beautiful. And look what we see. The king was drunk and wanted to show off the queen. Because it already says, when the king's heart was merry with wine. What does that mean? That means he's drunk. And, you know, one of the great things about the Bible, the kings of Israel, when they ruled on the throne to make decisions, they were not allowed to drink. And the priest, when they served in the temple, were not allowed to drink. And it goes on and says that a king's not to drink lest he makes some unwise decisions for the people. But here's a king, the king of the Medio Persian Empire, is drunk, and so he says, Somebody go get Vashti, bring in her. I want you all to see how, how she looks. But, verse 12, but Queen Vashti refused to come at the king's command delivered by the eunuchs. Then the king became very angry, and his wrath burned within him. Now, think about this. He says, uh, they'll be back in just a minute, <laughs> right? And then some time passes, and she's not there. And so he probably gets one of those other men, go, go find out what's the deal. Go find out what the deal is. And they come back, and they say, she won't come. And he said, what do you mean she won't come? She's not coming. She says she's not coming. Notice, then the king became very angry. And his wrath burned within him. So I want you to think about this. He, he looks bad. What? He wants to rule the world, but he can't rule what? His wife. He's saying, I'm, I'm going to rule the whole world, but I can't get my wife to come into the room. Right? And that's how he's looking bad. Now, there's a pride issue here. Because he's saying, I told her to come in here, and she's going to come in here. And she's saying, I'm not coming in there because I'm not coming in there where all that stuff is. And so neither one of them are going to give. And look, he's the king of the whole world, and he's saying, and you could actually hear somebody say, so she's not coming, huh? Well, you're ruling everything really well. You know, I mean, that's what they're saying. And as you notice this passage, if you read, if you heard me read this a while ago, the issue is, are these wives going to obey their husbands or not? That's the issue. And if the king can't get his wife to obey him, then how's the rest of the poor old guys going to get their wives to obey them? That's what it's about. The whole issue is pride. And pride always destroys. So look what happened. So the king said to the wise men who understood the times, for it was the custom of the king so to speak before all those who knew law and justice, those who were close to him. And they named some people. Look who they are. Carcina, Sethar, Adamtha, Tarsus, Setmeris, Mersina, and Mekmukin. Seven princes of Persia media who had access to the king's presence and who sat in the first place of the kingdom. These were his council. This, this, these are not the eunuchs. The eunuchs are the ones that just served him and served in the palace. These are his advisor. These are the top men. These are his cabinet. This would be his most important men. And he says, I don't know what to do. So he said, the king said to the wise men 
who understood the times. Now, they were supposed to be men who knew what to do and knew what to say and knew what the best thing to do, and they understood the laws, and, and they understood everything. And so they say, listen, here's what you should do. He says, they knew the customs, and, and they knew what the king and what, what law and justice was. And by the way, the law of the Medes and the Persians is a strange thing. The law of the Medes and Persians couldn't be changed. If you put something into effect, you could not go back and change it. It was in effect. Now, you may have to write a different law somehow to change it, because we're going to see that a law was put into effect in the book of Esther that says all Jewish people will die on the 13th day of the 12th month. They can't come back and say, cancel that law. It's a law, and it can't be changed. They're going to have to write another law. And so, this is the idea in the Medo-Persian Empire. Now, you know, you, you need to be able to change your laws, don't you think? What kind of wisdom was that? You know, you want to talk to these guys. You guys very wise? What happened to you? Okay? And so, in verse 15, here's what happened. He comes to his advisors and says, what's going on? And it says, according to the law, what is to be done with Queen Vashti? Because she did not obey the command of King Ahasuerus delivered by the eunuchs. So what are we going to do? She didn't come. And see, the king's the law. If he makes a law, it's, I, my command was for her to come in here. And she didn't come in here. What, what does it say? What does the law say when the queen disobeys the king? Maybe that had never happened. Maybe the queen always did what the king said. Who knows? Deep down, the issue's not law, it's pride. He's not worried about a law being broken. He's worried about the fact that she didn't obey him. And see, when you look at our lives, pride is the thing that just destroys us. Because when you go back to the very beginning and you look at the fall of Satan, when you see how sin entered the whole universe, there was God who set up everything and he put an angel, a very powerful, beautiful angel to guard the throne. And that angel was called Lucifer, the son of the morning. And in Isaiah 14, uh, he, the angel says, I will be like the Most High God. He decided he was going to be God. He said, this angel said, why should God be God? Why can't I be God? You know why he can't be God? Because he's a created being and God's not. God's eternal and God created him. God created all of us. We're not God. Sometimes we think we're God. Sometimes we think we do what we want to do. But we're not God. God is God. And so in this whole thing, that pride caused the fall of Satan, and he was removed from his position. And what caused the fall of man? When Adam and Eve were in the garden, God had already said to him, Adam, you can, you can have a great time. Eat from every tree of the, uh, of the garden, but don't eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. For in the day that you eat from that tree, die and you shall surely die. If you eat from that tree, you will die. Satan came in the form of a serpent and said to them, You will not, what? Die. Because in the day you eat that, you'll be like what was it? God. See, I want to be God. Adam said, well, I'd like to be God. I mean, being God seems like a pretty good, pretty good gig. You know, it's pretty nice. I mean, he comes and goes and does what he wants, creates everything. I, and if it's true that if I eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, I'd be like him. That's what I want to be. What's that called? Pride. And any time we sin, any time we say, well, I'm going to do that, uh, I'm going to lie. Why do I lie? You call me and you say, did you do something and I didn't do it, but I want to look good? I say, Yo, I, I, yeah, I've got it done. I lied to you. Why? Because I didn't want to look bad. That's pride. Whenever, we, almost, the pride is the root of almost every aspect of sin. Sometimes it shows up in the way of salvation. There are people who say, I think I can make it to God. Really. 
You know, you've all sinned and come short of the glory of God. Well, uh, yeah, but I'm not. I mean, I look around and I'm I'm a lot better than most other people, really. And so wages of sin is death. Well, that's okay. I talked to a guy one time and I told him about how Jesus came to the earth and died on the cross and paid for sin, paid for his sins, and that if he would believe in Jesus, he'd be saved. And he said, "No, I think I think I think I'm good enough." I said, but you've sinned at least once, right? Yeah, and the wages of sin is death. He said, I don't agree with that. I said, okay. I said, how are you going to get to God? He said, my good works, I will do enough good works, and God will please with that. And I said to him, well, the righteousness of man is what? Filthy rags. And here's what he said to me. If God didn't accept his good works, that's just too bad. And I said, it is too bad. That's pretty bad. It's going to be bad for you, okay? So pride is in every aspect. So look what happened. So he calls them together and he says, what, what should we do? Because the queen didn't obey the king. So a man's going to stand up and talk. His name is Mamukin. He's maybe the head of the advisors. We don't know. He's going to talk. But I want you to see his issue. Watch it. In the presence of the king and the princes, Mamukin said, Queen Vashti has wronged not only the king... It's not just the king that's a problem here, but also all the princes and all the people who are in all the provinces of King Ahasuerus. You remember you saw that map? That map stretched, it's called 127 provinces, which you saw back in chapter, in chapter 1, verse 1. And that the, the uh, Medo-Persian Empire was a huge empire. It actually was bigger than the Babylonian Empire. In fact, the Syrian Empire and the Babylonian Empire got a little bit bigger, and then the Medo-Persian Empire got a little bit bigger, and then the Greco-Macedonian Empire got a little bit bigger, and then the Roman Empire got even bigger. So they all got bigger as they went along. And so he says, by the way, the issue isn't just with you, king. The issue is with all of us. What do you mean? It says, well, for the queen's conduct will become known to all the women, causing them to look with contempt on their husbands, by saying, King Ahasuerus commanded Queen Vashti to be brought into her presence, she didn't come. Listen, we got a problem here. Because the queen didn't obey you, guess what's going to happen? All our wives are what? They're not going to obey us. We're going to be in trouble. That's what they're really saying. The queen's conduct will be known and all women will despise their husbands. I mean, they're not going to obey them. They're not going to do what their husbands tell them to do. You've seen the Middle East culture, haven't you? You've seen the Islamic culture, haven't you? How do they treat women? Okay? That's the way it was then. Now these guys are so afraid, uh-oh, if the queen doesn't obey the king, that means all the rest of the women aren't going to obey their husbands. And we're going to be in trouble. The queen's conduct will become known to all women, causing them to look with contempt on their husbands, saying King Ahasuerus commanded Queen Vashti to be brought into his presence. She didn't come. This day the ladies of Persia and Media who have heard of the queen's conduct will speak in the same way to all the king's princes and there will be plenty of contempt and anger. What are they saying? <laughs> this is going to be bad. Because the queen didn't come, our wives are going to turn around to us and they're going to say, we're not obeying, we don't have to obey you, we're not listening to you. What did it told you? Who do you think you can tell me what to do? Well, so what are we going to do? We better make a law. We better do something. So here's what they said. If it pleases the king, let a royal edict, that's a law, be issued by him, and let it be written in the laws of the Persian media so that it, what? Cannot be repealed, that Vashti may no longer come in the presence of King Ahasuerus, and let the king give her royal position to someone who is more worthy than she. Now what we're going to do is make a law that, first of all, because she didn't obey you, then she has to be cast out. She can't be queen anymore. So, and then all the women will hear that, and they'll go, oh. 
we better be real careful because, see, if the king just got rid of the queen because she didn't obey him, what could happen to us if we don't obey our husbands? What could happen? And so they're going to make a law and give her position to someone else. And let me just say this. You cannot legislate respect. You cannot make, you cannot make a wife respect her husband. You cannot say, I command you to respect me. You cannot command respect in any way, shape, or form. How does the husband get his wife to respect him? Ephesians 5.22. I want you to turn there. Hold your place in Esther, and I want you to turn to Ephesians chapter 5. I want you to see something very quickly, and then we'll go back to the book. And I want to show you something that's often misunderstood. Because when I've done many, 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 many weddings, in fact, I'm getting close to 300, and people say, so you tell the husband to love his wife and the wife is to obey her husband. Have you heard that? No, it never says that. It never says that. Wives don't obey their husbands. It never says that. In fact, look at Ephesians chapter 5, verse 22. Wives, be subject to your own husbands as to the Lord. The word subject there. It's actually found back in verse 21. It says, and be subject to one another in the fear of Christ. And wives, be subject to your own husbands. That's a different Greek word than obey. Obey is hupo akuo. It's a Greek word. Hupo means under. And akuo means to hear. And it says, children Obey your parents. They are to come under the authority of their parents, and the parents tell them what to do, and they obey. When it says submit, that's a different word. It's hupo tasso. Hupo means under, tasso means command. It means to recognize the man has a different position, but the wife does not obey the husband. She submits to the husband, and they're two different things. The husband does not come in and say, is this not fixed? Why is this not fixed? Why is this? Where is it? How come you? That, that, don't work. that won't work very long, right? That won't work very long, no matter what the rules are. And so here's what a husband does. Look at verse 25. Husbands, you love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave him up for her. You love your wife enough to die for her. You love her and realize that she is a gift to you from God, and you love her as Christ loved the church. Look at verse 29. No one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it just as Christ does the church. You nourish and cherish, which means to provide and protect for your wife. So you love her unconditionally. You love her enough to die for her. You nourish her, and you cherish her, and you protect her. And look what it goes on to say at the end of Ephesians 5, verse 33. Nevertheless... Each individual among you is to love his own wife even as himself and see to it that the wife does what? Respects her husband. The wife is a responder. When the man loves his wife enough to die for her and provides and protects, she will respond with respect. You can't have a law that makes that. You can't command that it comes this other way. So go back to, back to the book of Esther, Esther chapter 1. And we see they think they're going to make a law that will make the woman obey the husband. That's what they're going to do. And they don't know what they're going to do about it. So notice 
Verse 19, If it pleases the king, let a royal edict be issued by him and be written in the laws of Persia and Media, so that it can't be changed, can't be repealed, that Vashti can no longer come in the presence of King Ahasuerus. Let the king give a royal position to someone who's more worthy. And when the king's edict, which will be heard throughout all the kingdom, great as it is, then all women will give honor to their husbands, great and small. See, we're going to make a law that all women are going to what? Honor their husbands. That going to work? Y'all tell me. I mean, that won't work. The only way that a wife respects her husband is that he loves her enough to die for her and provides and protects. And they, it goes together, love and respect. So what happened? Here's this royal decree that's going to be out. The decree comes, and there's two parts to it. Vashti can no longer come. He's going to get a, somebody's going to take her place. And wives will honor their husbands. The laws of the Medes and Persians couldn't be what? Couldn't be changed. By the way, God's laws can't be changed. You know what it says? It says the wages of sin is what? Death. It says the souls that sin shall die. How many of us have sinned? We owe God what? God can't say, I'm changing that law. That didn't turn out so good. No, he can't change the law. What he did was this. He made a substitute. God can't change the law. Think the next slide. God did not change the law. He gave a substitute. Jesus Christ came to fulfill the law. Jesus Christ came to die in our place. Since the wages of sin is death, and we all sinned, we owe God death, but Jesus Christ came and died in our place. He's the Savior. He became our substitute. Look at these verses right here. Second Corinthians five eighteen through 20 talks about God has reconciled us to himself through Christ who died for us. First Peter 2, 24, he bore in his body our sins. Isaiah 53, he was wounded for our transgressions over and over throughout the scripture. Jesus took our place. God didn't change the law. He used Jesus to be the Savior and take our place. We thank God for that. We come to God by faith. Well, look what happened when they say this. This word pleased the king, verse 21. This word pleased the king and the princes, and the king did as McMucan proposed. So it says, yeah, this is, this is good. This is good. I'll get rid of Vashti, and we'll make a law that says that she can't come to me anymore, and from that, all the women will obey their husbands. Because they'll all be scared that they're going to lose their positions. So he sent letters to all the king's provinces, to each province according to its script, and to every language according to the language. Notice that every man should be the master in his own house. Well, you can make a law for that, right? You can make a law for that? How does that work so far? It doesn't work. And the one who speaks the language of his own people, basically saying the man decided what language they would speak. And they sent it out on horses. By the way, the, the Persian Empire had this system set up. And let me read it to you. Uh, I've, I've got the ancient historian Herodias wrote about the Persian communication system. Here's what he said. He said, Nothing travels as fast as the Persian messengers. Among the whole line of the road were men stationed with horses in equal numbers to the number of days on which a journey would take, allowing a man and a horse for each day. The first passed the message to the next until it reached its final destination. That's how they could get the message through the 127 provinces. And see, we're going to see this is going to make a difference later on in the book when a decree is going out to kill all Jewish people. What's the law say? Every man is to be what? Master in his own home. Chapter 1 ends kind of strange, doesn't it? Xerxes loses his queen because of his pride. And when we get to chapter 2, 
Four years have gone past. He has gone to war. He has lost war. And he comes back. And we're going to see what happens because that's when they've got to have a new queen. And out of all of the women in the whole kingdom, Esther is chosen. How could that happen? What have we seen? Xerxes and his drunkenness is, calls for his wife and she refuses to come. Roots the problem. Uh, pride's the root of all the problem. So a decree is given that Vashti's got to be put away and man's going to be honored in his own house. And they make a law that can't be changed and it's now being sent throughout the kingdom. So let me give you some applications as we think through this passage. First of all, let's be men and women characterized by humility, not pride. I mean, let, think, think about this. Next slide, I think. Pride is a root. It, you could say right, pride is the root cause of all sin. It is. It caused the fall of Satan. It caused the fall of man. Philippians 2, 3, listen to this. It says, Do nothing from selfishness or empty conceit, but with humility of mind, let each one of you regard one another as more important than yourself. Is that how we look at other people? That they're more important? That instead of, instead of being selfish, we say... Here, you, you can step in front of me. It doesn't matter. You, you, oh, oh, here, you, you get this. I, I don't care. How do we treat people? Let's be men and women characterized by humility. Because that's what Jesus Christ did. Jesus Christ left the glories of heaven. Philippians chapter 2 says, Let the mind that was in Christ Jesus be in you who humbled himself. That's a key. Look at this. Don't let pride stop you from trusting Jesus Christ. Now you know this message? Jesus Christ came to the earth, died on the cross, paid for sin and rose again and he offers as the gift to anyone who will receive Jesus Christ as Savior, he gives them eternal life. There are people out there, there are people, maybe I hope not in our audience this morning, but there may be some people who say, I don't need Jesus and I don't really need anything. I'm good enough on my own or I don't really need that. Don't let pride stop you from realizing you are not good enough. You've sinned once. Once is enough to separate you from God. Jesus has taken your place and he's offering you a gift, the gift of eternal life. Second, don't let pride stop you from growing. Be characterized not by pride but humility. Not living for ourselves but living to touch other lives for Christ. Second, Realize your role in the family, whether it's husband, wife, parent, child. We just really talked about men this morning. We know that the, the, the wife is to submit, the man is to, to, to lead and to, to love, and we've got children who are to obey, and we've got parents who are to bring them up in the training of the Lord, and we're going to see that in just a minute. But let's fulfill the role. Where, where, if you're a man, you're not, we all know this. I mean, this is not new. You don't command any kind of respect. You don't command it. You don't make a law. You love, and they respond. That's the key. Third, finally, realize that sin has consequences. In the life of Xerxes, because of his pride, he lost his queen, and he lost respect. And there are consequences to sin, and we see it all the time. Just like the law of Medes and Persians couldn't be changed, God's laws can't be changed, the wages of sin is death, and there are consequences when we sin. I hope and pray that every one of you in this room, that you have trusted in Jesus Christ as Savior, you have eternal life, and you understand that. May we be men and women of humility, fulfilling our roles, and proclaiming Christ in this community.